This is one of the sessions that I said I was hoping to be highly interactive. So we're hugely privileged to have some very eminent directors here with us today to share their views of what they expect from, from the risk management function. Fahmeet is an actuary with extensive credentials in the pensions and investments industry. She's played roles as Chief Investment Officer at the ESCOM Pension and Provident Fund and she was appointed to the board of the Government Employees Pension Fund to bring her expertise to the oversight of investment activity in the PIC. She serves on the boards of Telcom, where she chairs the Investment Committee, APSA Financial Services and PEPCO Holdings, where she's members of Audit and Risk Committees, as well as BankMed, where she chairs the Audit Committee. She brings enterprise risk management skills and multi-generational planning techniques to the boardroom, She's also an avid cricket enthusiast and is a lead independent director at the Western Province Cricket Association. Um, Herman is the Chief Executive Officer of RMB Holdings and Rand Merchant Investment Holdings, having joined the companies in 2014. Before this, he was CEO of Deutsche Bank and Head of Corporate Finance at Rand Merchant Bank. He serves on the board of First Rand, Hastings PLC, Discovery and Art Insurance, and he's chairman of Endeavour South Africa, and is one of the board of governors of the University of Johannesburg. Louis completed 32-year service at ABSA, ending his career at Deputy Group Chief Executive Officer from 20, or 2009 to the end of 2012. His extensive business experience, including audit, risk and capital matters, particularly in the financial sector. He currently serves on a number of boards as a non-executive director, including MMI Holdings, Telcom, Transnet, and AFGRI. And he's also actively involved in sport in South Africa, serving on the boards of Cricket South Africa and SA Rugby. And I think after their last game against the All Blacks, he's, he can well admit to that. <laughs> Um, thanks very much for, for making your time available to us today to, to talk us through what you expect. So I think the format is they're each going to chat for about 10 or 15 minutes and then we can get to, to ask um, any questions that are top of mind. So thanks very much. Ladies first. All right. Thank you. Um, good morning, everybody, and thanks for giving me your, your time to listen to me. Um, as Judy has said, I serve on the boards um, of a number of companies and yeah, by virtue of my qualification, I always get appointed to the risk committee and often the audit committee of these boards. My most interesting appointment at the moment is no doubt to the board of PIPCO, which until a few months ago was Stein of Africa Retail. Um, and I can assure you that the risk committee did not expect the ERM function there to foresee the downfall of um, Steinhoff International. So, yeah, I mean, I was appointed on the 17th of April, which was just a few months after um, the fallout at Steinhoff, which started obviously with the resignation of the CEO. Um, but, yeah, clearly that organization has just recognized the importance of having an enterprise risk management function to have someone think about the black swan kind of risks and the black swan kind of events. Um, on a more serious note, though, we're talking about financial services risk or enterprise risk today, and I think we're focusing specifically on insurance companies. 
But as a result of having served on a number of boards for, for more than 10 years, I have seen risk committees of varying um, levels of maturity, and I've seen the development and the evolution of enterprise risk management functions um, across the financial services industry. Um, as Judy mentioned, I served on the board of Government Employees Pension Fund as well, um, on their risk committee. Um, I'm also on the risk committee of Bank Med. I'm on the risk committee of an of a, um, insurer that is owned by one of the big four banks. Um, and then I've also been on the risk committee of a non-life long-term commercial um, insurer owned by the government of South Africa. So really seen a diverse range of, um, of capability as well as orientation with regards to risk. Um, I think though, it, uh, in terms of the evolution of the enterprise risk management function, it's fair to say that it's been largely driven by regulation and regulatory demand. And so it's probably fair to say that banks have the most evolved enterprise risk management function just because they've needed to do it and have that capability in place formally um, for the longest time. And I'm sure Louis, who comes from the banking sector, will agree with me on that. But simplistically, I think a board expects an enterprise risk management function um, to help enhance the focus of the board on the key business objectives and the risks to achieving those objectives. And really how you do that depends on the capability and the extent of the enterprise risk management function in the business. So the enterprise risk management function should ideally be independent from line management, so report to the, to the CEO, but should also have a direct line to the chairman of the risk committee. And the CRO should have the sponsorship from the top levels of the organization so that colleagues in the operations recognize the importance um, of the function. I think it's important for an ERM function to be involved in all areas of the business, including um, operations and then also strategy, ses strategy session, setting. The business planning process is an important area for ERM to be involved in so that they can have a proper understanding of the risks that the business plans to undertake so that they actually know what they need to be, what they need to be monitoring. Um, I've seen a range of ERM methodologies um, and frameworks applied, and I think it's important that the ERM, that is uh, the, the framework and the methodology that's being applied by the ERM in, in function is appropriate to the business as well as the nature of the risks undertaken by the business. I mean, and just as an example, um, probably about seven years ago when ERM functions were being established, I was involved with a, um, a long-term insurer, non-life, com so commercial risk, um, that was sold a wildly inappropriate ERM um, methodology by a consultant from the States. It was actually a methodology developed in a brewing company in the States. So, I mean, while it's obvious now that the, that the model couldn't possibly have been appropriate at the time, just because of the lack of skill and understanding, I think, in the industry generally, um, you know, the, the critical evaluation was perhaps not what it needed to be um, at the management level, and it was important that the board and the risk committee interrogated what was being proposed and its suitability um, for the business. Um, I think it's also quite important that 
the ERM function develops a formal risk budgeting process based on the working average cost of capital for the business and then also the strength of the balance sheet. Because establishing the risk appetite of the business is critical in terms of the board understanding how much risk the business is actually taking on. And then the ERM function obviously needs to be reporting to the risk committee on a regular basis with regards to consumption of that risk budget. And if the business has more than one operating division, it's quite useful to get granularity of reporting, so allocation of that risk budget to the divisions and then consumption of that risk budget as well um, to, to the risk committee. I think it's quite important that the ERM function understands the underwriting risk of the business as well. Um, and this is quite important for commercial insurance, particularly where it's, um, where it's long-term long long risk. And then the ERM function also really needs to have a proper understanding of the volatility of the underwriting risk. So that, again, you understand the potential impact on the, on the risk budget and what proportion of the risk budget to allocate um, to underwriting risk. And then, of course, it's important for, for a risk committee that your ERM, ERM function ensures that you are compliant with regulation. Um, and I think as South African insurers in particular are in the process of developing their also processes and their also reports, we're seeing lots of evolution as maturity of the process um, develops, and I think risk committees rely to a, to a very significant extent on the ERM function that they remain fully up to speed, they keep the board informed of developments or the risk committee informed of developments, and then also meet the requirements um, of the regulator with regards to, with regards to the also. Judy, I think I'll stop there so that the gentlemen actually have something to say. <laughs> but hopefully that was a useful introduction, yeah. Right. Um, uh, stepping into this room, it reminded me of that story of the of the person who immigrates to Australia, and in doing so, he or she raises the average IQ of both places. So stepping from the outside world into this room makes me feel like that. But nonetheless, I am quite qualified to be here. If I if I reflect on it, in 1987, Marley Fenter, who is here today, she was my tut. That's a lecture at RAU to do analytical techniques one. So I, I think I'm actually with, with you here. Any case, um, thank you for the invitation. I'll make a couple of, of, of contextual remarks first. And I think when it comes to risk, it's, uh, one has to assume that it's an extremely inexact science. And that we are, whether we're risk officers or people who are trying to monitor what, what risk a company faces, or face that we're very ill-equipped to deal with, with that assessment. Um, part of it is that the, the real world is very, very different to, to the, call it, sterilized world that we see in textbooks or even in games. I watch my sons play Call of Duty and they die 200 times every day. And that's, of course, not, not the real world. Um, I also think we have incredible biases. Um, there's since 1988, there's a program on Australian television called uh, Shark of the Week. Okay, so in 2015, six people died from shark attacks. 830,000 died of mosquito bites. 
And there's no such thing as mosquito of the week on, 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 on television. So I think we deal with, with biases. Um, we, we don't have a great alignment of interests. They, the st studies show that the military and military personnel are actually best equipped to deal with risk and how to deal with risk. And part of it is maybe that their lives are on the line versus a corporate risk manager, ma manager or a board who is actually playing with somebody else's money. So the, the alignment of interest when it comes to risk and to be intellectually honest and how to assess risk and the randomness thereof um, is not always prevalent in, in what we try and, try and do on a daily basis. And I think the last bit that I'll say why, why we're ill-equipped to, to do this or to really assess risk is that we try and learn from industries and we always default to the gambling industry. So we think, right, let's go to a casino mindset and see probability of payoffs, etc. But what, what one forgets is that the, in a casino the, the odds are set. When you walk in and you play blackjack, you know what the odds are. It's around about 98.3%. And the odds are not going to change, and they're going to suddenly pay you more that evening just because you're a nice, nice guy or wearing nice perfume. It doesn't happen. You know the risk and the odds in a casino. So one shouldn't use a casino to, to actually try and assess a risk in a corporate way. Just to give you a, a sense, the, the, the Las Vegas companies spend an enormous amount of time thinking through gambling theory. What would the higher rollers do, and how do we actually make sure our risk assessment is in place. The four biggest risks in Las Vegas to date, the one was the kidnapping of an owner's daughter, the other one was a clerk who forgot, who actually hid the, the forms that they had to send to report to the gambling board. Uh, third largest one was a disgruntled contractor who wanted to put dynamite in the, in the, under the, one of the casinos. And the biggest risk, a hundred million rand single hit, was a tiger who killed its owner. The tiger was in that Sieg Siegfried uh, show. The tiger was quite tame, slept in the, in the owner's bedroom, but eventually probably got slightly hungry and killed the, killed the owner. So these are four risks where, as a gambling risk officer or casino risk officer, you would never have contemplated if you thought linearly around, uh, around risk. So against that context, what... What do we expect from risk officers and thus the ERM function in, a, in an organization, especially a very complicated organization? I think firstly, and, and this, this comes from the, the first point I made, was that, that you need to have very open-minded people. So Tyson, Mike Tyson, maybe you're a bit too young to remember who Mike Tyson was or is. He says everybody has a plan until you get hit in the face. So when it comes to risk and being faced with a risk that you obviously didn't expect, you've got to be quite open-minded. Uh, we like to have experienced people with battle scars who've seen cycles, events, occurrences, um, just seen, seen it all. Uh, the, the critical one for, for us, and I'll come back to, to culture, is that it has to be a partner mindset. The, the ERM function is not a police person or policeman or women. It is a partner to the business with a commercial mindset much rather than, a, than a, uh, catching out any, any wrongdoing. We like humble people. They engage better with business, so business feels less threatened. Um, we want people to be value-based rather than rules-based. And one thing that you can't teach, but what, what is very, very important for a risk officer is, is judgment. When do you react?
when do you see something is urgent, when are the alarm bells starting to, to, to flicker, and how do you actually deal with, it, with that specific um, occurrence? And I guess the last one that, I, that I'll add is that the, the ERM function in a, in a, in a very far quickly changing world, we need, we need ERM function or risk officers who are up to date, tech savvy, um, very plugged into the business, what the business is trying to achieve, um, and, uh, and up to date with emerging, emerging trends. So I'll stop there and give Louis a chance. I see he's got more notes than I do. So uh, I'll, I'll talk a bit about culture and, and, and compliance later, but I think the last thing that I'll say is that risk officers need to remember that we still have a business to run and, uh, and a cost of capital to, to beat, and that there needs to be a very careful balance from a risk function between value creation and, the, and actually um, enabling that versus value preservation or value maintenance. And I think uh, that, that is the, the right risk officer strikes that balance between allowing the business actually to take tolerated risks or risk being within the tolerance levels while maintaining that you don't have a black swan type of tail risk that, that can really uh, destroy a lot of value if not the business. Yeah, thanks, uh, thanks Herman. Yeah, I've got more notes because uh, Otherwise, I would never remember what you told me that I must say here this morning. So, uh, um, I, I think I feel uh, possibly even more intimidated than Herman coming into the uh, in, into this venue. I mean, uh, to be honest, I, I think my last uh, maths exam that I passed was grade seven or whatever. <laughs> so, being in the presence of a lot of actuaries, one feels a bit inferior. I serve with Pavmida on a uh, on a board, and uh, I mean, after she has done my 360 on how I chair the risk committee, I wasn't sure whether I should greet her this morning. So uh, she's possibly busy doing that assessment again, and then um, I will be joining a board shortly, of which Herman is the boss. So. Uh, you know, I really now need to mind my P's and Q's because I might not get my board fees the first month. So, um, but I, I think thanks for the opportunity and thanks for the discussion that we can have here this morning. Um, for, for me, you know, I think one of the, the challenges was, I mean, I started my non-executive career about six years ago. And, and being passionate about the risk environment was, was always concerned that um, our debates and our discussions at a risk level is pretty much the the old internal audit discussions of ticking a box and uh, uh, on the other hand being extremely wise and slim after the event on why it happened um, and that we very seldom spend enough time on how to prevent um, and I think to echo the sentiments of Mida and Herman this morning, I mean, ERM independent and on the outside, but so integrated and involved in the business to be successful is only how we can really drive our businesses going forward. I mean, any, any decision that we should take today, strategic decision, new ventures in our business, let's acknowledge that there are massive risks involved in that. But that's the game that we are in. We must take risk. 
And therefore, I, I seldom understand and I battle when we sit in risk committees as to why we still today, because it's fact, speak about culture, speak about embedment, because it just feels so logic that we need to have everything together to, to be successful in, in what we do. So I'm absolutely uh, converted to the fact that risk, despite everything that it stands for, is a player that must contribute to the success of the business is a player that must ensure that what business embark on, their chances of failure is less because of the value that risk can bring to that uh, level of debate. And then furthermore, other than protecting performance and ensuring that we meet and exceed expectations, is to ensure that we drive sustainable organizations going, going forward. If I look at, at some of the expectations from, from a board to the ERM function, um, I would like to, to see that we reflect and say the financial crisis late 2000, I think, brought a different perspective to the, to the risk function. It possibly gave the risk function the kicker of, of really being an important function in every organization. And I think we are now at the time where we must say we need to take risk management to a next level. We know how to work with the models. We have it all. We've got the dashboards. We know which way the arrows should go. How do we lift our game? And it's when we speak about lifting the game that, that I, from time to time, the moment we put issues like strategic risk on the table, that one still see within a board, hang on, this is CEO or business, why a risk? And, and I think from time to time, the issue of strategic risk in terms of are we moving faster than the environment? Are we closing gaps? Are we innovative? Are we new? Um, artificial intelligence, FinTech today, and what that would mean for the organization five, ten years from now, does it have the right level of discussion and debate at risk committees from the perspective of making sure that we've got entities that will be competitive and sustainable into future? Traditional board members, and I'm now on that side of, of the table, we are specialists in banking on our experience and the things that work, and the things that we know, and the things that we're familiar with. Here's a game developing, Hermann's Lighties that die 200 times a day, is the stuff that we don't comprehend always and understand. And I'm looking at the ERM function to say, facilitate a much higher level of debate at a board on much more of what the future is about than necessarily assessing issues of, of the past. If we speak about financial risk and performance risk, it is not talking to b about annual growth and performance, but it's talking about the earnings at risk, the value at risk, the one in 10 and the one in 200 year uh, events, and how we stress and, and, and look at future balance sheets in terms of uh, of performance. 
and I can see Jan Libber speaking to his colleague, and he's 100% correct. I quote him on that statement, Jan, you heard it from um, but, but to have the, to have the debate that, that it is a different financial debate that speaks to the future of a sustainable organization. The third area that, that I am very cautious about at the moment is our debate in information technology, information security and cyber. You don't need to be a rocket scientist today to ask the question in any board about cyber security. It's the right question, you are making an impression, everyone knows you clued up. That's the problem. What are we talking about? Um, you know, quite often when, when we speak about information technology, we speak about hacking our firewalls. But are we having the right debate about some of the security within our organizations? How we deal with data? And again, what I say is, I give all the credit to all the risk officers and the risk functions. I'm, I'm saying, ensure we talk the right debate going forward. As a, you guys, as, as actuaries, I mean, one of a big frustration for me was there was also that time where an actuary was associated with a life insurance company. Today, no retailer can operate without the insights and knowledge and specialist knowledge that you guys bring to a table to understand the consumer of the future, etc., etc. And we mustn't fall into that trap as risk officials that we become stale and stagnant on issues that was in historical. Let's focus on the stuff that goes forward. And, and as I said, technology high on the agenda. The regulatory environment, Fahmira spoke about it. Um, Herman spoke about emerging risk. Another topic is, that's massive at the moment is compensation and remuneration. Are we striking the right balance in terms of how we reward? We know shareholder activists ask those questions. But what is it that we put behind the debate, behind the modeling, so that that right level of discussion takes place? And then reputation. Um, reputation and the environment of the social media of what has been said about us, about our industry, what is the needs and wants, because as these oaks sit and play games every day, there's a discussion and a debate out there that is not the built and the business day anymore. And are we plugged in to that discussion to understand where we are, what we do, how we've been rated, and, and so forth? So for me, my plea this morning is to say, well done on what we have achieved up to now. Let's put our minds together in forums of this nature and in future to say, how do we design the next wave of risk management to ensure sustainable organizations? And I think if, if we can all as board executive management and specialists like yourself facilitate that debate, lift the quality of debate at boards and at executive management level, um, I think we will make a valuable contribution to our industry. Uh, thanks very much for those like introductions in terms of where, where your, your thinking is. Um, and then now I'd like to open it up to the floor for questions. I think there's a roving mic. Any questions? 
uh, obviously quite scared to ask um, this question, but what's the personal characteristics that board members are looking for in, in risk officers? So not the technical expertise, but more the softer stuff. I think Herman um, mentioned some of that, but what are those things? What type of a person are you looking for? <laughs> no, Herman, you can start here. Yeah. You started talking about culture. Um, thanks, Jan. Uh, yeah, I think the, the ones that I mentioned around um, open-mindedness, being very experienced, commercial, humble, value-based, those are all all very important characteristics. The, the one that probably stands out is somebody who is confident enough to, to raise issues at a very early stage. I think, uh, well, identify them first, then raise them at a very early stage. There's nothing worse for a board or a CEO to, have, to get a surprise which is already half-baked and, and the, the horse is, is halfway down the, the road. So I think it's a, it's a, it's a person who's, who's confident enough and the, the, what comes with that confidence is the ability to act and, and operate as a peer to business heads. So unless you have the, 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 um, the confidence and the, I guess, the experience, the competency and the capability and the understanding of the business to get involved in the business next to, but, and not, not below the business head, um, I think that that is a very important point. If you don't know and you're not confident enough to, to engage at that level, you'll always be fed information rather than being participating in actually understanding the information and, and in, interpreting it rather than just analyzing it. I, I think if I could, could just add, I mean, we, 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 must, we must accept that we need to earn the respect of, our, of the business. And that respect get, in my opinion, besides all the attributes also that Arman had mentioned, is, is the value that we bring. Um, uh, they must experience us as a partner that, that, that help us achieve or prevent risk. And, and unfortunately, it, had to, it must happen once or twice so that we can so-called earn, earn our stripes. On the other hand also, I mean, I, I think, Herman, you made the point to say, you know, risk at the end of the day we must just remember that we've, we've got a business uh, and a business to, to run. And, and I honestly think that, that a business unit head today, I mean, if you take an ICAP at the banks or the ORSA at insurance companies, if you look at uh, several on-site visits today of your regulators, see how the behavior of external auditors has changed post the events that FACMIDA has referred to, and, and then internal audit. Business is punch drunk about on people that come into the business and tell them what they have done wrong. Um, and, and therefore, I think that skill of, of the balance to be transparent and open about the things that are wrong and to correct it. But it's almost the iron first velvet glove thing to say, do it in a manner that adds value, that is constructive, that is supportive, that assists, and, and that will make them achieve. Um, for me, almost also a question, we speak so easily about the culture. Um, what is that culture? When do you know that a culture is well established? I think the culture is well established when that interaction is at the level that, that, that we are talking about at the moment. I think when it's that absolute transparency 
from time to time we need to put the bad news on the table. Don't hide it. Um, don't make ten attempts to soften the blow, put it on the table, but in a trusted environment that we are going to work on it to, to resolve the issue. Um, is, is some of the attributes that I think at the end of the day can culminate into an organization with a healthy culture. And whether that culture is a risk culture or whether it's just the, the business acumen of the organization, um, you know, that, that can be any of the two. So, so maybe as, as the actuary on the panel, I'll step up here and say that those attributes that you've just mentioned don't necessarily <laughs> develop naturally with the, with the rigorous mathematical training that actuaries have or that actuaries, well, that you have to go through to become an actuary. And it's actually, it's, it's actually soft skills that you need to go out and um, develop. So, um, Louis, don't hold this against me at um, Telcom, but I've actually done a postgraduate diploma in emotional intelligence from UCT Graduate School of Business. Now, anyone who sees my CV and sees that and goes, what the hell? But actually, it helps you engage with people, particularly on difficult issues, particularly when your role is to check and challenge business. And it helps develop your judgment um, to decide sort of what is an acceptable risk to take on and what, as Herman has mentioned, is a risk that you actually need to raise and, and put on the table early. I think the, the one thing from Mida that you just said, which is also important, Herman, I'm not sure whether you referred to it, but, but I mean, from Mida, I think you said it in the introduction as well, is are we taking enough risk? And, and how much business opportunities do we leave on the table? And are we as active in that discussions and debates at our business unit is, is one thing that I just, as from Mida, you mentioned it now, just trigger the thought to say, how can we add to the richness of the risk debates that we have at business level? I think the one, the one thing that we've seen work very effectively is, is also the secondment, or at least the movement of, of business people into risk audit and other, other support functions. Because you bring, with that, you bring the awareness of actually what happens, you bring the relationships of across the organization. Plus, you bring an attitude of saying we actually want to sell this product or, pre or policy, etc. So, I think the, the the big trick, as always, is to to make a risk uh, an attractive option for anybody in the organisation. Um, I sit on the discovery risk committee, and it was by far and large the most interesting one of. Well, there's an actuarial one which I think you'll enjoy more. But um, the, the the risk committee is an is an extremely interesting. Uh, organizational forum because you see across it and you, and you really deal with relatively important business issues rather than than what what tends to be at the border obviously at quite a high level the one the one that I while I'm thinking of it that Louis mentions strategic risk is probably the one that's most underinvested in it's typically long term so we all have this bias of of long term risks always appear uh, um, appear less uh, in, in today's terms, but I think strategic risk and the and the risk of of your business place or your business industry being disrupted, the typical Kodak moment, is 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 the one that I think um, could also be a very interesting exercise for for risk people to sit with the strategy business unit if there is such a one, 
and actually think how will our world look uh, in three or five years time rather than as Louis said backward looking as to what did we do wrong or what could we have improved Uh, hello? Yes. Okay, um, so we had a lady that um, did the okay, that did the first speech and she spoke a lot about the political risk and I suppose uncertainty that we're going through in South Africa at the moment. So I'm just thinking within our companies, not just insurance, but maybe generic um, risk committees at the moment, are we doing enough to be proactive and maybe not just engaging regulators but to take part in some sort of legislative process so that at the end of this whole political uncertainty and um, economic transformation or whatever it is that comes out at the end of it, we have added value to our companies and have ensured that there will be a business continuity? Yeah, so, I mean, you've probably heard of BUSA, um, Business Unity South Africa, and that's probably the most well-known business forum that has decided to engage with government um, to give input and direct on policy setting for the main purpose of creating a better business environment um, for South Africa. So, for example, um, with all the um, decline that you've seen in the RAND recently, some of it due to extraneous causes, some of it sort of self-inflicted because of land reform comments, etc. You've had Busa engaging quite actively um, with the president on the implications of his policy statements for, for the RAND. And in fact, I think it was just yesterday or the day before yesterday, yesterday that the president actually came out and made a statement which was business-friendly um, and saying, look, actually, we're, we're, we'll ensure there won't be any mayhem with land reform, um, and the, the RAND has just depreciated way too much, and we actually saw the RAND bounce back um, quite strongly as a result of that. So, I mean, to answer your question, there are certainly entities at a very senior level. I mean, BUSA and the CEO initiative is literally CEOs of listed companies that participate. Um, and... Yeah, so there definitely are forums that try to engage with government. Of course, where the government listens and takes the help um, really depends on the personalities that you're speaking to. And then, of course, there are other for forums as well, um, like NEDLAC. Yeah. I haven't done those that EQ course, so I'm not going to answer the politics. <laughs> <laughs> Hi. Um, thanks very much. I thought there were some really helpful and um, insightful guidelines uh, from all of you. Um, I just want to highlight two traits um, of, of risk officers that I think kind of are, it's almost a pinnacle, I think, of, of being successful. Um, I think, you know, the one you can describe is the ability to see stuff that no one else can see, or others that haven't. And, you know, if you think back to the financial crisis, it clearly, you know, there was huge opportunity for, for people to have done that and, and, and didn't. Um, so one might refer to it as seeing around corners. Uh, and, you know, by definition, I think it's very difficult to do because one is, one is effectively taking a contrarian view. Um, so that's, you know, that's the one trait. And I think the other is, 
the ability to really understand how our risks interconnect. Um, because it's just so much easier to think about risks in their singular form. But to really understand how one risk can affect another or what happens when different risks occur at the same time. So, you know, to my mind, those are the, that's how we can really add, add value as a function. But it's actually very difficult to do. So I just wondered if any of you have any kind of thoughts and ideas as to how do, we, how do we sort of really strengthen our skills in those areas? What can one do to, to be better at seeing stuff that other people haven't seen and also understanding how our risks interconnect? So let me talk about the first bit and, and maybe Louis or Rahmita can do the second. I think the my reference earlier to the military as a as a, as a field which obviously appreciates risks quite deeply um, is one where I think one can learn a lot from. The so-called Donald Rumsfeld, um, you'd remember coined the phrase the unknown unknowns. Um, and I think there's, there's a lot of scenario planning being done in the military around what are these unknown unknown uh, threats to a, to a business or a corporation or a society. So I guess on the one, my my guidance to you would be that you need to be paranoid, um, because if you're, not, if you're not paranoid about what could go wrong with your business, um, you probably don't uh, you don't care enough. I would I would venture. So I think you have to have these insomnia issues on your mind around how how the business can either be disrupted strategically or otherwise, but also what could could go wrong um, if uh, in, in in any scenario. So firstly, being paranoid, reading widely, discussing it with, with colleagues and, and industry experts, and then I think just being very open-minded as to a wide array of other industries or fields which can actually inform, inform a view such as, such as the, the one that you're looking for. I, I think also, Erman, uh, to, to, to add to that, um, I, I think to my earlier point that at this moment in time, we've, I think all the information is there. Um, you know, let's accept we can't predict, we can't be certain that's the, the game that we are in. It's a fast-changing environment. It speaks to the agility of risk. It speaks to the resilience of risk. Um, and, and, I mean, let's accept that a lot of these things happen and, and, and there will always be these risk events and, and so forth. But I, just speaking again from experience at board committees. I think if one look at the volumes of information, of data, the models that we have available, possibly our emphasis in discussion should shift more to the scenarios and the stress testing and, and, and so forth and the projected balance sheet, etc. than some of the let's say, traditional risks that we all are familiar with. So in, in, in many opinions, um, or many cases, I think it's not that we don't have the skill. It's not that we don't have the data. I think we don't allow us the luxury of that, those debates. Um, if we have a strategic session and, and strategic workshops, we think and speak about the, the next wave of product and solution but it's possibly just making sure that this becomes a discussion at a board level that is, that is more common, that people are more familiar with. And if we speak about the skills composition of a board, 
to make sure that we have the right skills around the table to participate in a debate of, of this. You know, quite often when we look at the composition of the board, we've got industry specialists. But, I mean, at this moment in time, there needs to be a much higher focus on, on certain specialist topics within the board. I mean, I wonder whether there's 20% of boards today that will tick the box to say we're comfortable with the composition of our board, re-technology and cyber. I think the same apply to that that you speak about, that it's not that we, we have executives knowledgeable, we must have the debate, we must have the discussions. Yeah, so maybe just to add to that, I mean, when I started speaking earlier and um, sort of lightheartedly made reference to Sign of Africa Retail and their enterprise risk management function, which, which doesn't really exist, you know, I spoke about needing to have someone sitting around thinking of the possible black swan events. And it's quite important that your risk management function is not a pressured production area that they actually have time to sit back and think blue sky, ponder on the sort of unlikely scenarios and actually play them out and understand what the impact will be on the business. Because I mean, as actuaries, we all know that tails are actually fat. We have fat tails. The unlikely event is not actually that unlikely. The one in 200 event is actually more like a one in 50 event. And so it is important to know how your business will respond and to test whether what you're trying to do or what the business is trying to do will actually be resilient in that type of scenario. I think um, Herman's made the point about being widely read. You can't actually underestimate the importance of understanding context, the context in which you operate the national context, the global context. I mean, when Trump first became president, you know, oh, we thought it was a joke that he didn't know where Africa was and he made up a new African country name, etc. But we really just thought he was sort of a redhead menace off in, in the US. With his China trade wars, he's now having a very dramatic effect on the growth expectation for South Africa for the next two years. And, I mean, for myself, I've said, oh, well, I'm writing off the next two and a half years still because he will only have one term as president. But, I mean, what is the risk that he will have two terms of president and what of presidency and what are the implications for the South African economy if he continues with his trade wars because China's retaliated with every blow that he's made? And it's actually having time to sit around and think about those possibilities playing them out that makes you a, a really effective um, risk officer. Thanks very much. I think there's another question over there. Yeah, thanks. Uh, I've really enjoyed listening to all of you. It's been very insightful, so thanks for all your contributions. Um, I've got a question for Fahmida, perhaps a, a slightly technical one, so we can always take it um, outside if we need to discuss further. But, um, I was really interested in the few remarks that you made earlier about risk budgeting because um, <clears throat> from what I've seen often uh, specifically the sort of risk appetite framework that gets adopted by insurers 
um, tends to almost fixate a little bit on risk tolerance levels. So, you know, we don't want to underwrite more than, you know, X amount per risk, or we don't want to retain X amount on a catastrophe event. Um, as opposed to saying, you know, the, this is sort of the range within which we're willing to um, operate. And so I think um, while for the quantitative risk, it's still fairly easy to do that sort of thing. I think for the um, qualitative risks, um, you know, it's, I think, quite hard to specify what your, you know, your appetite range is. Um, so I, I was interested to know if you've actually seen some practical, you know, um, examples of, you know, where uh, financial institutions have actually successfully, you know, defined a risk appetite or successfully budgeted for risk. Um, and maybe also just if you could elaborate briefly on what risk budgeting um, you've seen. Yeah, so, um, I mean, so I serve on the board of an insurance company owned by a bank in South Africa. So I think compared to other insurance companies that I've seen in South Africa, they've got a fairly evolved um, risk model. Um, when it comes to actually having a model that sets sort of risk tolerance levels, risk budget, um, and then risk appetite as three distinct measures, um, it's been primarily sort of international banks that I've seen apply that type of model, so I haven't seen it applied to the fullest extent in um, the South African insurance context. Um, yeah, so I mean, I've, I've, we can chat a bit about the, the types of models that I've seen, um, but certainly the insurer that I've, that I've referred to in South Africa, I think they've done it sort of on a, on a judgment basis, but they have actually put measures in place for risk appetite versus tolerance um, versus budget. Very much recognizing that, as Herman says, it's a blend of sort of science and, and judgment. Um, and I think it's very important when you're decomposing underwriting risk, that especially for non-homogenous type of risks, that you understand the interaction of your risk factors um, because you can suddenly have a risk factor sort of throw your other risks out of out of kilter as well. Yeah, particularly if you're also insuring um, foreign currency risk. Yeah. Thank you very much. I enjoyed the discussions. Um, maybe um, just being a bit profound, I want to switch the question around and ask, what can ERM functions expect from boards going forward um, with all the new legislation? And are we expecting to see boards? challenging things more, getting more involved in the detail. Also, maybe just uh, some comments on that. Yeah, so certainly I think directors of insurance companies are feeling a lot more um, concerned about their fiduciary duty as well as their liability exposure as a result of the changes in legislation. Um, yeah, the changes in legislation play, place far more responsibility on directors, um, just in terms of what you, where you physically have to put pen to paper as well. And I think it's, it becomes a lot more real, the risk that you're facing when you're putting pen to paper, as opposed to sort of just as a board approving something. Um, and chairmen don't like to be exposed alone. So even if it's a chairman that's signing, you know, he wants to know that his whole board is, is an approval. So there's a bigger demand from the ERM or by the board from the ERM to keep them appraised of regulatory change 
and also understanding the implications of the change. So, I mean, insurance companies versus insurance groups, the regulatory burden at each of those levels, you know, just unpacking it so that directors at each of those levels understand sort of what their, what their responsibilities are. Um, and then just having, you know, seeing, seeing the regulators' feedback on ORSAs just has also, I think, made directors understand that they need to know a lot more about what's going on in terms of the risk management and the risk assessment um, of the insurers than what they previously did. Um, I think as a result of that, you're also seeing more actuaries being appointed to the boards of insurance companies, and so you're seeing a lot more technical expertise sitting at the board so that they can challenge um, the, the ERM function in a more sort of informed way. So you're right, the direction of travel is more compliance, but I certainly hope that boards don't get more involved in risk. Let me qualify that. I hope that the risk committee gets involved in, 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 in more guidance to the ERM function. But if you, if you think of what board agendas look like at the moment, I would have certainly been more on the side of advocating for far more strategic discussion, proper feedback from a, from a properly constituted and mandated risk committee uh, with the right discussion taking at board level, but to burden a board more with more compliance, more governance, um, I think it, it, the emphasis has already shifted that boards are becoming somewhat ineffective in actually guiding the company strategically rather than playing a rearguard action as to audit, internal audit, risk, compliance, governance, uh, etc. So it's slightly, uh, slightly I guess, uh, tongue-in-cheek, but I would hope that the right agenda items get to the board in the right way. I think another issue that is important is your rotation of directors. Um, you know, irrespective, and I know there's a fine line between the experience that individuals bring, but fresh legs and fresh eyes onto the business just helps uh, with a different level of debate and discussion. And quite often, if that level of discussions are not taking place, one, one need to see whether we are not getting stale and, you know, know the business, have seen it before, that, that type of thing, because a healthy debate should, there should always be, and let's add to that healthy tension in a value-added way. So, uh, you know, you can't almost today as a board function if, if you don't do that. Hi. Um, so my question relates back to something you said earlier, Louis, about the risk function being able to add value by recognizing where more risk can be taken. So my question is, do you see the focus shifting a bit away from the policyholder and regulatory view towards the shareholder view? And if so, given that they focus a lot on return on equity, do you think there will be more of a focus on capital efficiency? Absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I, I would even add into, into that whole equation, um, I, would, I would like to add customer and, and almost want to add society in terms of our responsibility and the role that we, we need to play. Um, you know, I, I don't, uh, I, I'm on a board where Herman is the shareholder, so I'm cautious of what I, what I need to say now. But you know, I think it is, it is important that we understand our purpose and, and, and what we do 
and, and to really have that focus of, of solutioning and possibly the return is a bit longer, um, but it is striking that balance, at, absolutely. Can I just say, I think the, the one thing for media also, you know, plans is great on paper um, and it's fantastic to have all these, these wonderful reports. Um, but I mean, testing, simulating events, and, and really making sure of the practicalities of, of what we say and how we do it um, still is a, is a very important measure in making sure that we don't just have theory, but it's, it's practical and can work. So I, I um, asked a friend of mine what I should say at a risk um, seminar like this. So he wrote me a limerick. So I'll just share that as my closing remark. A young risk manager called Schmidt cared about risk not one bit. He said, I have no fear, we have zero risk here. He ended up knee-deep in trouble. <laughs> you want me to make a sensible concluding remark after that, Jenny? Okay. So... Well, we can just leave it there. <laughs> there was one further point um, that I wanted to raise which is just the next time your CEO is putting together um, a board strat session, insist that risk has a slot on that agenda as well, so that strategy can be looked at through a risk lens too. Thank you very much. I think that we're all the better for the insights that you've given us and certainly you have thrown out some challenges for how we can um, be more effective in our roles. So thanks very much. For the challenge, we're very grateful for you investing time, time in the seminar. So thank you. Oh, thank you.